Memories are nice, but that's all they are. This is a podcast about Final Fantasy X and X-2. Welcome to the pilot episode of Skies of Academia. This episode was originally recorded as a spin-off series for one of my previous podcasts, Games Witticism. After Games Witticism went on permanent hiatus and I joined Audio Entropy, I decided to take that spin-off idea and turn it into its own series. I've included this episode as an episode zero, both because I felt it right to include the episode that was the genesis of this idea, and also because I was pretty proud of the work Mike and I put into it. I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Hello and welcome to Games Witticism. Uh, I am your host, Dustin, and with me today is uh, my guest co-host, Mike. Hi! I have no qualifications whatsoever, and I'm happy to be here. That's okay. No one ever needs qualifications to be on Games Witticism. That is, qualifications would be strictly against the point of this podcast. Anyway, I suppose I should explain why uh, Luke and Melissa are not here. Yeah, what's Uh, going on, man? Yeah, so it's not that I don't like them anymore. In fact, the opposite is true. Uh, it's just that we are doing the very first episode of, um, a new subset of Games Witticism episodes that I'm trying, um, called Critical Hits. I mentioned this during the Game of the Year recordings, but these are meant to be episodes that kind of get at what Games Witticism was initially supposed to be, which was a podcast that sort of uh, took a deep dive on a particular game or a particular uh, theme in gaming and sort of analyzed that. And we sort of got away from that because it turns out it's a lot easier to just talk about a bunch of video games instead and goof around. Just veered away from that immediately. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Um, Yeah. Well, I can't think of a bigger critical hit than the subject we've chosen today. Yeah, so our first... Our first game that we'll be talking about is Final Fantasy X-2, a game that might be the one game I still can't quite come to a decision on about whether I like it or not. <laughs> a classic. Timeless. <laughs> without peer. Uh, it is certainly one of the most interesting games that's ever come out, I think. Yes, I would say... Uh... Even not even just in its series, it's one of the games I would uh, one of the big budget games I'd most like to have been a fly on the wall for many of the decisions and design meetings for the game. Yeah, that must like that must have been a hell of a man. I <laughs> I just can't imagine <laughs> what that design doc looked like like before and then after. It's right, a so, crazy thing. Yeah, yeah. Because, well, I mean, let's just jump in on right one of the first issues is is that uh that dash two at the end of the name, you know? Yeah. So, I think, I think before we quite get to that, I think it's important to note that I've always been of the opinion that while Final Fantasy VII has had maybe the most influence on 
the aesthetic choices of Final Fantasies that came in the future, I think ten probably has more influence on the mechanical and gameplay decisions. I would agree. I was thinking earlier, there's sort of... I think there's sort of two great splits in Final Fantasy design. And the first is... You, know, you have the era of Final Fantasy to Final Fantasy VI. Yeah. You have the era of Final Fantasy VII to Final Fantasy IX. And I would consider ten onward another era. Yeah. And um, even... even though it's not as big as a jump, but... Yeah, I think yeah. it's still fairly significant because yes. when you look at the games prior to ten, um, there are significant differences between, say, six and seven. But ultimately, six and seven aren't super aren't super different from a mechanical level or a necessarily a story level. Yes, um, they they still have roughly the same kind of epic narrative arc. They have the same sort of ATB system, just with different little, like, little kinks to it. Um, whereas, and then you go from 7 to 9, and again, it's very much the same sort of, same sort of core game, just a, with a different story, different cast, slightly different tweak on the ATB system. Yeah, you've always got your little different dress-up of progression, whether it's yeah. uh, just gaining new materia in 7, or the draw system in 8, or learning skills off your items in 9. There's always something that's unique, but at the end of the day, you've got a bar that's filling up, and when it fills up, you take an action. Yeah. And, and 10 did away with that entirely. Yeah, like, and 10, I think, sort of ushers in the era where Square starts to take bigger experiments with the types of gameplay they introduce to Final Fantasies. Um, and even though 10 going, even though turn-based itself isn't necessarily like a crazy thing to do in a uh, JRPG, it was both, it's both been a very long time as of 10 when a Final Fantasy had had a turn-based system. And also they made some pretty significant tweaks to the turn-based system itself where it's not like you choose your four characters, they act, then the enemies act. You have a... Like, each character sort of has their own spot on a sort of line, almost. And enemies and allies are interspersed on that turn line by how fast they are, how uh, some certain powerful abilities will have longer cooldowns, I guess you could say. It's almost almost paced like a turn-based fighting game in that certain moves you use have different cooldown periods or startups. It's... Uh, I in some ways it's actually not that different from the ATB system. In fact, where it just uh, you just don't wait for the bar to fill up and it freezes when it goes. But yeah. it does a lot to differentiate itself from that, yeah. and is a just a strong tactical system in general. Yeah. Uh, game difficulty notwithstanding, which is usually the case I find with the Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. It's also the first Final Fantasy with fully 3D environments. The previous ones had used very Resident yes. Evil-like sort of um, pre-drawn backgrounds. First Final Fantasy with any voice acting at all. Yep. Start uh, of a new console generation. Yeah, like there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff that Ten introduced that 
kind of became the model for mm-hmm. how Square would approach game design. Which you don't really think about much, because there's actually... <laughs> it's weird. After ten, there's actually very few traditional Final Fantasies, is the, is the thing. So it's yeah. sort of... You sort of gloss over that. Uh, both eleven and fourteen being MMOs, twelve being this open world piece, which which still gets a lot of influence. But uh, mm. but the system of interacting with the world obfuscates that much as much as how Final Fantasy X obfuscates an ATB system with the turn base. Yeah. And thirteen, well, <laughs> I'm sure you could fill an entire another podcast on thirteen, but I haven't played it much, so yeah. that's we, not this one. We will definitely get to thirteen in our discussion of ten too. Because oh yes, those yes, two are, are very, very closely linked. There are some clear through lines that, even as a casual uh, engage with Final Fantasy thirteen, are readily apparent to me. Yeah, so what's interesting about the breaks that Ten made from other Final Fantasies is that Ten itself was like the core theme of that of that game was breaking from tradition and a lot of that game focused on exploring the dangers both on a personal level and on a societal level of clinging to your past and not moving forward, not progressing. Um, the like the the villain, the main villains of that game are literally ghosts of the past. Yeah, basically, uh, uh, or or a whale, or just a whale. Yeah, which, well, as we all know, is the greatest ghost. A whale, a whale created by a, <laughs> a dead whale, ghost of manifested the past. by a ghost, possessed by another, another ghost. ghost. Yeah, it's created by a ghost, possessed by a ghost. I'd actually, the, the second ghost might not even be a ghost of a person, as much as a, the ghost of a literal idea. I don't quite remember. <laughs> God, I forgot how fucking weird sin actually is. It is yeah. A weird goddamn thing. Yeah. So what's interesting about that is that that core theme also works on a metatextual level. Because the very next game that comes after ten is ten two, and as you mentioned <laughs> previously, the two after that yeah. is pretty fucking important. Yes. So when the question is asked as to why ten two was created, uh, I think it's important to look at a few dates. Uh, Final Fantasy ten, the original, was released in two thousand one. Uh, July. Final Fantasy Spirits Within was released in July 2001. Oh, God, I forgot about that. <laughs> and Final Fantasy 12 will be released, the next traditional Final Fantasy, not an MMO, will be released in 2006. Yeah. At this point, at the point at which Final Fantasy 10 comes out, and Final Fantasy Spirits Within, a financial disaster comes out. The, t- the Square Enix is presumably at this point working on a very non-traditional entry in the Final Fantasy series, an MMO Final Fantasy XI. That is a big risk when you just lost a lot of money. Yeah. And Final Fantasy X was successful and a good release. Yeah, but... it was. It was very successful. But Square's in a bad place. 
And between Final Fantasy X and Final Fantasy X 2, they will in fact merge with Square Enix, with Enix rather, to create Square Enix. And it's just, there's a lot of business happening behind Final Fantasy X 2. Final Fantasy X 2 will go on to come out March 13th, 2003, using primarily reused assets from Final Fantasy X and continuing the story. Yeah. It's a very safe idea. Final Fantasy X sold a great deal and people liked the characters. And in that way, it's fascinating. Yeah, because what's interesting is that they take what is maybe the safest idea for a game and choose the most unsafe options. <laughs> Final Fantasy X 2 is the closest Square could get to designing an open-world game in the Final Fantasy X engine. Yeah, it's actually pretty incredible. There are so many things they did that, like, haven't... I, I was about to say haven't really been replicated, but they have occasionally been replicated in thirteen. actually. Yes. We'll get to that. But yeah, like, there's so, like, a open world right at the start. Like, yep. you do a tutorial mission, and then, boom, here's an airship, go wherever the hell you want. You can travel to every single location from Final Fantasy X. Yeah, like, only three party members, ever. Yeah. That's it. Um, which basically eliminates the traditional, like, oh god, I have to get these other characters I never use to on par level. No, you just have three of them. Um, not only is it just three characters, but every single one of them is female. Yeah. It is the first and only, I believe, still to this day, all-female Final Fantasy. Yeah. Um, and even the soundtrack was super different. It the is, soundtrack is weird. Yeah, it is a mixture of both J-pop and synth in equal measures. Yes. I don't like it, but I actually I like respect it quite it. a bit. I bought I actually bought the uh, the soundtrack from eBay. That's yeah. I mean, where but else are you going to get it? <laughs> that's cuz I'm nuts. But yeah, I really like the soundtrack and it is a but it is also it's really weird. Soundtrack sound soundtrack tonal shift from Final Fantasy 10, which was very heavy on slow meaningful, emotional piano, you know, two Xanarkand, an yeah. iconic video game piece. Yeah, I mean... Like, None of that! Yeah, no, no. Like, ten, of all the things that tended differently, one of the things it very much kept was the sort of traditional symphonic um, Uematsu uh, uh, compositions. Tentu does not keep even that. Yep. 10-2 <laughs> is like the entire soundtrack is by the guy who did that last Seymour battle. Where you're like, what? Whoa, what is this doing? Or this the game? opening cutscene. <laughs> yeah. Ten, yeah. Oh god, I I do love Otherworld unironically. <laughs> um, but it is a weird song. <laughs> it's... Listen, I've, I maybe have higher standards for butt rock in... Uh... <laughs> Uh, well, that's true. It, Otherworld can but... never hope to measure up to uh, uh, the Sonic Adventure soundtracks. No, but what can? Yeah, I mean, really. But yeah, I, that God, that's another thing that's going to be replicated in one of the 13 games. <laughs> yep. 
But yeah, uh, so like really the only thing I can think of that comes close to what Ten did in its soundtrack is Memories of Light Waves, probably. That's like close as that yeah. soundtrack ever comes to that kind of sound. Um, but yeah, Ten Two is just a huge risk, and I remember I was. I'm gonna feel very ashamed for saying this, but I was a regular on the Game Facts message boards at this point in my life, mm-hmm. and people were kind of freaking out. It's a very strange announcement. Yeah, it is. It is probably the last thing you'd expect. Um, and it's also, but at the same time, I personally was super excited for it because I really love Final Fantasy X. It was my favorite Final Fantasy at the time. I, you know, it's definitely an iconic game for a lot of people, I'd say. Yeah. Just, and, uh, even if it was just its position at the PlayStation 2's launch, uh, not launch, but the the first PlayStation 2 one, that would make it the sort of the first one for a lot of people, probably. Yeah, and like, and I really liked the characters, and one of my favorites was Riku, and she was going to be one of the three main ones. I'm like, okay, this could be really interesting. Not only and it s- was! <laughs> yeah, though not for the reasons I was hoping. No. So, as I mentioned before, Final Fantasy X was very much about... Um, conservatism and its dangers and moving beyond moving moving away from your past like one of like they they get pretty on the nose with it uh during the scene in guado salam where they're all going to visit the far plane and Hmm. titus asks riku hey why aren't you going in and she says memories are nice but that's all they are yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of real unsubtle moments in that game that sort of get lost in the big picture. Yeah. Um, and Tentu very much went with that. Uh, and it's like, well, you know, we'll practice what we preach. And we will just forget what other fi- what Final Fantasies were in the past and we'll do our own thing. And we'll also do a continuation of what Ten explored by having the uh, story of Ten Two start out as an exploration of the conflicts and uncertainties that arise from change and progress, both mm-hmm. on a personal and social level. Like, Ten Two starts out with Yuna searching for something from her past in order to sort of, like, help her figure out what she wants to yeah. be as a person now that summoners no longer are needed. Like yeah. her entire reason for living has just been invalidated by her own actions. <laughs> right. And we jump into the plot, uh, I mean, two years after the uh, the events of Ten, about yeah. two years. And it basically, it's never said, but it basically comes off that Yuna has not really moved on much in that t- two years. Like, she's it's hidden behind a very optimistic happy outlook but there's there's a strong sense that yuna has basically been weighed down by her past for those yeah. two years and has not advanced much as a person even though the she, whole she has even the whole gull wings thing wasn't yuna's idea that was riku's and mm-hmm. she kind of convinced yuna to go along with it yeah um because day hey, what else are you doing <laughs> yeah so 
So then, should we jump out and give a quick overview of the plot of Ten Two? Then, if we're gonna jump right into it, yeah, probably, um, because it'll be very relevant to both my praises and criticisms of some of the things Ten Two does. Right, and uh, I mean, like, I've got. Honestly, I think I have more to say about the systems of Ten Two than the story, but you know, yeah. it's not like one is a better place to start than the other. Yeah, we're already talking about it. So the basic story of Ten Two is that um, in sort of the epilogue that was released in the international version of Ten, which we now have as the Ten HD collection. Yes, um, there was a ten point five sort of epilogue scene where Riku shows up and talks to you and is like, hey, we found this sphere with a dude who looks like Titus who disappeared at the end of 10 because he was a dream of the faith. And Riku's like, hey, maybe he's still out there. Want to join me searching for him? And Yuna's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? And, I uh, liked him. <laughs> and so uh, Tentu starts out with um, Yuna, Riku, and newcomer Pain. um, uh, as a group of sphere hunters called the Gull Wings, and they're basically treasure hunters mm-hmm. um, who go, go around the world searching for um, spheres to unlock Spheres Past, which has largely been kept under wraps by Yevon, the, the yeah. old Church of Yevon. It's it's a very Indiana Jones, it belongs in a museum sort of thing. Yeah. Um, spheres are literally memories from the past. They're basically Spheres YouTube uh, they're just, they're just like they're just getting the past. If all of our past was YouTube and the future found it, and that's what Spear is going through right now. Yeah, if and you they could, YouTube, love, if you could also harness YouTube to create new dresses for yourself. If boy, if I could do that, I wouldn't be here right now. Let me tell I know, you. right? Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so that's how it starts out, and they and you go and for the first half of the game, um, like while you're finding new uh, spheres to unlock the secrets of the past, you're also meeting other sphere hunters like LeBlanc and her gang. And uh, you're introduced to the three leaders of the new political factions that have arisen in the wake of the old church of Yevon being disbanded. I would say there's basically two political factions and then the machine league serves as sort of a, third party. That's true. They're sort um, of like off doing their own thing. <laughs> yeah, so you've got the Youth League, which is a bunch of young ready people who are tired of the old ways. Yeah, young hippie um, liberal commies. Yeah. And then you've got New Yevon, whose symbol is an elephant, and no. Yeah, and true. who are basically like, who's I believe Verily sort of, like his description of them is basically yeah, so Yevon was an asshole, but not all of his teachings were wrong. <laughs> well, there's this great moment in when you first meet uh, uh, Berlai and, and New Yevon. When you first go to the New Yevon headquarters, Yuna's worried because there was some sort of arranged marriage thing with the son of the leader. Yeah. And then Berlai comes out and is like, oh, we got rid of that guy. He was like trying to get too much power for himself. Which is what happened with the first New Yevon leader, and then the second New Yevon leader, and now Berylai. So there's this awkward moment. You're like, guys, yeah, you maybe have some structural issues you got to work on here. Yeah, and then the Machina League, led by Gipple, are mostly concerned with 
Continuing to do Sir. what Riku Sir. was essentially doing. The Machine League. I'm s- Machines are completely different than Machina. <laughs> I, oh, wait, are they seriously called... Yes! Oh, oh no, that's an actual point. Is the Albed are rebranding Machina as machines. Oh, right. Because yeah. people have no problems with machines. Machines Fuck. aren't against Yevon's teachings. Machina are bad. <laughs> and then you'll go read a sign in their temple that says, yeah, we rebranded Machina as machines. I totally forgot about that. got this far into the temple, you, I guess you get to know. But yeah, so Giffle's leading the <clears throat> Machine League. Um, who are basically continuing what Riku was doing at the very start of 10, which is um, unearthing uh, ancient Machina and sort of yeah, uh, they're, uh, restoring they're them. They're pursuing all bad interests. And basically trying to figure out how the hell all this shit worked. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, just two, just three big cults of personality, and they're all really interested in Yuna's personality getting on board. Yeah, yeah, and they're all attractive men. <laughs> Oh, they. So they're so, yeah, all so got, they're all men who came straight out of the shoujo game. There, <laughs> I'm glad you noticed this because I was worried that uh, I would have to bring it up alone. Oh no, it's the men absolutely what they're going for. In Final Fantasy Ten Two, are by far, and I know this is something that people joke about in JRPGs and Final Fantasy a lot. The men in Ten Two are the gayest men in Final Fantasy and it's beautiful. They are the male modi they all like, they are the male modeliest men that ten the, that the every, Final Fantasy franchise has ever like, produced. These men were drawn for slash fiction. Oh yeah. Definitely. Like, and it's just this incredible like it's it's sort of like what makes you look at the all female cast like you might worry about the all female cast and go, oh I don't know, is this kinda like, you know, a Tomb Raider thing where they're like, we're gonna put ladies on front because they got hot pants, but no. Yes and guys, no, really. Well, yes, yes and no. But these guys were made for a female audience. Like they were not made for guys to think they're cool. That they are cool, but that was not the design goal, and it's amazing. Yeah, they're the, great. The primary art, which I am highly considering just using as the album art now, is just straight up the three of them lounging on some rocks. Well, I mean, it's that or the picture of uh, Auron, Jekt, and Braska as the Gullwings. Oh, oh, right, God, yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. That one's pretty good, too. That's pretty tempting to use as well. But no, God, like, Barely's got that pretty boy thing going on. Giffle's got this eye patch. and Yeah, Giffle news. has the bad boy personality, which probably explains why... Uh, it was implied that he and Riku totally had a fling between yeah. the events of Ten and Ten Two. And Nuja's zipper. I don't know if you're looking at that, but that goes all the way down. Yeah, Nuja's wearing this weird sort of one-piece jumpsuit with a zipper that straight up like just goes right down to where he's, his penis he's is. wearing a thong because he you cannot you know you cannot bare bones that zipper. You that would be dangerous. Up. You'd get uh, something caught. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, uh, and just to establish real quickly, since I don't think we didn't mention it earlier, Gip- Gipple leads the, uh, leads the Machine League, Barely leads New Yevon, and Maven Nuge is the leader of the Youth League. Nuge, the one with even weirder hair than Seymour. Well... 
I think maybe you've forgotten what Seymour's hair looked like. No, I remember. Uh, though I, I, I think it's a pretty close I, argument. I, I think it's a pretty close tie, if at the very least. I mean that, like that ponytail does do some weird things, but like it would be a lot easier for us to do Nuge's hair than it would be to do Seymour's. I suppose that's true. Yeah, it's definitely um, in the vein. Right, and so as you go through the game, you find that these three guys also used to be. Not sphere hunters, but they were like a team. And they were like there's... a paramilitary organization, <laughs> or something. Yeah, some sort and of the Crimson was... Brigade. And yeah. Pain was a member of them, but she had like amnesia. Pain was Pain was like a recorder. Like her her duty wasn't to like. She was like yeah she was, an, she was she was an embedded journalist basically yeah. Um, I don't think she has any amnesia. I think it's it's think it's a thing where she's like, I'm not gonna talk about that. Oh right, okay, yeah. Uh, and so, meanwhile, one thousand years ago. Oh yeah, yeah. Here's where we get to the part that yeah, <laughs> yeah. All that, everything we've discussed is not actually the plot of the game. It's the setting. Um, one thousand years ago. We got this guy in Xanarkand named Shuyin who looks like Titus, and he likes this girl named Len who is a singer, and she looks like Yuna. And is they... she the first summoner or just a summoner? She's just a summoner. Okay. Because uh, the first summoner, I believe, is uh, Unaleska. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. Uh, and this was during the war between Xanarkand and Bevel. Uh, they were going to be separated, and Shuyin decided that in order to avoid being separated, uh, he would take control of a giant Makano weapon in Bevel and destroy the entire world with it. Yeah, so this was as, actually hinted at in Final Fantasy X. In JRPG. <laughs> when they tell you... Yeah, so this was actually hinted at in Final Fantasy X, where they tell you, like, what the hell's up with Dreams Anarchand. And they say, yeah, so Xanarkand and Bevel got into a war, and they both use super weapons to annihilate each other. Yeah. And we know what Bevel's super weapon was. It's Sin. I'm sorry, well, that Xanarkand's super weapon yeah. was Sin. Because they've got the summoners. Yeah, but we didn't know what Bevel's was, and it turns out it's a giant robot. That's, it's a, it's that's a controlled really via a robot. fancy organ. <laughs> Yeah, just, it has no other systems but an organ made of light. Yep. Because that's the most sensible way to control a robot. Despite every other robot in the game being controlled without a pilot. Yeah, so eventually the plot (laughs) of the game sort of becomes, oh shit, the ghost of Shuyin is trying to revive... um, Vegna gun again yeah, we got to destroy the world and we have to stop him and also like the the singer dre- the songstress dress sphere that was Len's crystallized memory is starting to leak into Yuna and controlling her. Yeah. It's uh it's a we got ghost problems and <laughs> everyone does cuz you know Shuyin makes his way through Nuge and Gipple, not Gipple, sorry, Nuge and Barely and just amps up the political conflict going on into nearly a full-blown war. Thankfully, Yuna ends the war with the power of song. Yeah. She Um, holds a concert to bring peace. 
Yeah, and then Shuyin says, well, I'll just use the giant robot then. And he uses the giant robot, and you fight the giant robot. And you make friends with your enemies, and everyone is happy. And then... And then your ending depends on how many places you visited in the world. And also whether you chose the correct dialogue choices, and also whistled. So, Final Fantasy X-2 has multiple endings, and they're based upon a game completion rate. Which is... a bad system. Uh, It would be an okay system if the percentage completion made any fucking sense. (laughs) So I will draw a comparison here to Final Fantasy XII's uh, infamous chest. Yeah, the Uh, Zodiac chest. chest. For those who don't know, in Final Fantasy XII, there is a chest that contains, uh, I believe it's the ultimate weapon for the dude. You know, the dude. You mean... Vaughn? Guy, yeah. <laughs> Alright. What servers? Ab man. Oh, there are no there are some abs in that game that are way better than his. That's true. Uh speaking of games designed for uh slash fiction. Oh bosh, take me now. Uh <laughs> if there's a certain chest that you have to there are several certain chests that you have to not open in the game in order for his ultimate weapon to be in a chest later. There are no markings on any of this, these chests. The only indication you have is some offhand dialogue in an area that you can miss from an NPC with no unique model. Uh, basically, its entire function is to sell the Brady Games guide. Or whoever's making guides now. I don't know if they're still in business. Yeah, I think Prima still is. Ah, Prima, holding in. And Final Fantasy X-2 is basically that except for um, the entire game. It's the entire game. So right from the so we mentioned earlier that you have your airship and you can go anywhere in the world and it'll try to help guide you by popping up like hot spot next to areas where big story events are happening. What it doesn't make as clear to you is that you can go to those other places and there's things to do there. Yeah, there's still important stuff like in if you go to, I believe it's Mushroom Rock very early in the game, like in the first chapter, there's some pretty significant conversations you can have with, um, I believe it's Machen, the historian. Yes, uh, that and that's a great example of why the completion like, rate that's is That's a hugely important awful. conversation, too. Not only is it a hugely important conversation that explains the background of New Yevon and, set, in fact, sets up the secret hidden dungeon at the end of the game. Yeah. It's fucking boring. Um, and the entire time he's talking, the game pops up options to go, shut up, whatever, and walk away from him. Yeah. But you need to listen to the entire slow, boring conversation that the game gives you four opportunities to skip in order to access a scene that gives you 1% completion. Yeah. And that's kind of the story of most of the completion events in the game. Yeah, I I remember one of the really crazy examples being, um, and also one of the particular subplots I hated most, um, was the uh, one where Rin has you looking through the various security cameras he's set up Mm -hmm. around, I can't remember what area it is. Yeah. But, like, you uh... can, like, you'll get different results based on what order you view the cameras in and 
but like only one very particular set of um a set of uh ways to do that sequence will actually give you full completion and mm-hmm. give you like the quote unquote true culprit who ends up being an incompetent Riku. Good old Riku. That's basically going to be the story of Riku's role in the game. Uh, <sighs> and the the idea is that this game has a new game plus mode where you go back in and you visit the areas and you try to figure out what, what you missed for the completion points. Uh, the problem is that's not fun. Yeah. Uh, and is one of the... like If this was actually done as a game design decision instead of a secret partnership with guide makers, it's incompetent. Yeah. Uh, there are ways to make New Game Plus fun and interesting and see new content. Uh, there are ways to make... Yeah. For example, the way Nier does it, where you get yeah. whole new dialogue that completely recontextualize all the boss fights. Mm-hmm. There are ways to make players want to go back and do different things to see a different ending, a better ending. You know, Undertale, a very recent example. Mm-hmm. Uh... And this game just doesn't do that. Uh, it's not that playing the game is negative. It's just that you're going through the same story beats over and over again, trying to find the dialogue option, the hidden scene, the NPC you're supposed to talk to. At what time? Because yeah. some of these are time-sensitive. And sometimes you go back to an area after you already left and completed the mission to get a guy onto your airship so you can leave your airship in a later chapter... Yeah, and even two similar uh, dialogue options will give different percentages. And I remember, like, a side quest. I, I was following a guide when I got my HD collection. Yes. And, and I remember them pointing out that, like, okay, so if you enter from this area, you'll skip getting this quest from this guy, which will give you a different reward, but it won't give you all the completion yes, percentage. Yes, the, the Toby quests. Yeah, yes, the fucking Toby quests. Like oh I had God. to spend like half an hour researching that. And like, just to... it's a situation where you like, do you want to get a class and completion, or do you want to get one of the best accessories in the game and no completion? And it's like, this is a false, ch- like this is a Sophie's choice that didn't have to be here. Yeah, it's not meaningful to gameplay because. If I was encountering this naturally, I wouldn't even know that these are my options. It's just, hi, do you want to help? Yes, no. And you don't know what your rewards are. Yeah. Like, we sort of skimmed over it when we were talking about the overall plot. But, like, the point where I get really mad at Ten Two Story is the point where it introduces Vegnagun. Because as much as the start of this game is about abandoning the past and looking towards the future. And as I said, on a metatextual level, sort of saying, you know, those memories of what Final Fantasy used to be were nice, but this is what it is now. They still go back to that well of, we've got to save the world from a, from from annihilation. Yep. And you got to get over the fact that the ghost kind of looks like the guy you boned once. Yeah, and it's it's still clinging to the old story beats. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, that is maybe one of the most disappointing things. Yes, about Ten Two. It's, it's this like this is something that 
maybe we'll bring it up a lot or we'll forget to, but Ten Two has a lot of situations in which it's scared to take the step forward that it's already in the midst of taking. Yeah. And unfortunately, if you do that, you just sort of hover in the air instead of going anywhere. Yeah, um, it's, and it's, it's really It's cool. actually kind of ironic that it's... It's really cool to hover, but you don't move. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sort of ironic that Ten Two falls into the trap that the maesters intended. Yeah. They're not quite willing to move forward, but they'll pretend to. Yeah, like, it's a real shame, because I should like Vegna Gun. One, its name is Vegna Gun. Yeah. Two, it has a giant skull face, and it opens its mouth, and a giant gun comes out of it. Yeah. Three, it's controlled through a pipe organ. Four, it's a giant beetle? Yeah, I totally forgot it was shaped like a beetle. Five, if you lose in the fight, you see a shot of it shooting the gun, and then the world ends. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just it's just, it's just, just a big gun or something. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um... Do we want to continue talking about story elements, or do we want to go into gameplay mechanics? Because I'm okay, since we're on the topic of story, like, sort of diving into the characters... Well, I think yeah, I think it's worth diving into the characters because sort of, it is a very bare bones plot. Yeah, like I mean, we have actually literally basically summed it up. Like Yuna is in mourning. Yuna wants to find out what's happening. We see the what's happened in the world over the last two years. Ghost problems. Giant gun. And then we didn't mention the ending, which is Titus comes back to life. Yeah, uh, which is a meaningful enough beat that we'll probably get to it in time. Yeah, I have issues with that. There's a lot to dissect there. So... But but yeah, I think but because of the simplicity of the plot, it is a very character-driven game. Yeah, so let's start with Yuna because yes. that makes the most sense to start with. I think it's the most positive place to start it too. Yeah, because uh, Yuna's arc is actually surprisingly good. Yes, so like so Yuna in Final Fantasy 10 jump back to that real quick, because Tentu does build on that in a very good way, and it's important yeah. to understand what that is. Y- Yuna in Ten is not a... She's sheltered, but she's not like... She's sheltered, but she doesn't want to be, and she's not the irritating trope you would usually have in a story, yeah. where she's like, I'm running off and getting into trouble on my own. Yeah, like, she... she's she's very realistically sheltered, and she tries to do things on her own, and they don't work perfectly, but she's, like, making decisions and agency, and the main character of Ten, the narrative character, doesn't see that, which is one of the really nice things about it. Yeah, what's interesting is that even though when she's introduced, she seems like the traditional, like, oh, she's the quiet, passive one. Yeah. She's not passive at all. Like, mm-hmm. she is maybe the least passive character in the game. Yeah, I think that's one of the cases where we can actually say that uh, it's one of the weaknesses of Final Fantasy X's voice acting. One of many weaknesses. Yeah. In that she, she, the, uh, she's, her voice acting stays to one note, even while she is doing things. So people sort of yeah. inadvertently interpret the passivity that is her apparent characterization rather than her growing characterization. 
Yeah, it's she is actually a very interesting character because mm-hmm. she is very much committed to being a summoner and to sacrificing her life and doing what needs to be done and like very like believes a lot in that short-term happiness like like she would love to defeat sin forever but like culturally she's come to feel that there is no way to do that so like she's like if i can get some people like 10 years of happiness that sounds amazing yeah sounds great yeah and and she will do what she needs to do regardless of what her guardians think of it yeah which is especially true during the seymour sequence oh yeah where she only calls off the marriage that she doesn't really want to do in the first place. She only calls it off because she finds out that Seymour is straight up a supervillain. Comically evil. Yeah. Like, that is the only reason. Yeah, she, like, she was like, well, a celebrity marriage would really calm everyone down. Yeah. It's like, guys, excuse me out, but whatever. I don't have to do anything with him. I just need to, like, show up in public. Yeah. Um... So yeah, so at the end of Final Fantasy X, you defeat Sin for real. Yep. Yuna doesn't have to sacrifice herself. Finds a way to heroically save everyone in a JRPG. Yeah, and it's uh, like... Except, except for one person. Yeah, except for well, Titus. Well, two people, but like, Oran was ready to die. Yeah, yeah. So both Titus... Well, it's slightly different. Oran is unsent. Yes. So he he is essentially much like Seymour in that he just refused to. He is, he is a ghost that remains to influence the world. Yeah, and whereas Titus is very much like an Aeon in yes. that the Faith create him um, at to be an actor within the world. Um, because at like at the behest of Jekt, who presumably knew that. Uh, predicted that Titus would be the person that Spira needed to break yeah. out of their spiral of death. Real weird call, considering Jack last knew Titus when he was like six. Yeah. Uh, like, good read, but man. <laughs> yeah. Jack knew his son better than... <laughs> he knew one thing. Yeah. Jack, kind of a shitty father, but a good judge of character. <laughs> but yeah, so... At the end of 10, Yuna rejects uh, the religious order she's believed in all her life, though, you know, does feel that it had some good ideals, as is understandable for someone who thinks, well, okay, yes, we should, like, re- like try to be good people, but maybe the, you know, ghosts running the world forever thing is not great. <laughs> and also the genocide against races we don't like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's, a, there's some real extraneous forces that makes it real easy to uh, to pin the failings of Yevon on specific people and not the, the yeah. culture as a whole. Yeah. Uh, um, so at the end of 10, it's like, well, shit, what does Yuna do now? Yeah. And, uh, you know, she gives a good speech, but, like, she had to give up basically her first love uh, in a in a in a situation where she's had very few peers uh, her age all, all her life growing up. Yeah, even like, Waka and Lulu were more like surrogate parents than yes friends. Uh, they really didn't get to be like 
Yuna, Yuna never really had a childhood, basically. Yeah, like, really, the only buddy her age she has is Riku. Right, and that's someone she only meets uh, much later. And also, there's that angle of, like, we don't really agree on the important thing that is happening now. Yeah, yeah. Riku is very much of the opinion that Yuna should not be doing the thing she is doing. Yeah, Yuna, uh, Riku's really anti-suicide for some reason. <laughs> yeah, um, who, who would have thought? It's a weird belief. Uh, and yeah, and so at the end she's seen still whistling for Titus. She has seen that, like the reservation, she's like the ending of 10 is literally her saying, we should move forward, but also we should keep the people we've moved past from in our hearts. Yeah. Um, and she appears to have kept him in her heart for the past two years when we start 10 2. Yeah. Uh, literally, the entire game is spent her narrating to Titus, even though he is not here to see it. It's basically, you know, a letter to a bereaved loved one. Mm hmm. And what's interesting is that, as you mentioned, like, very much in contrast to how she started out in 10, she is actually more passive at, at, the, out, at, the, the, at the onset of 10-2, mm-hmm. because she is just kind of going with the flow, because she's not yeah. sure what her purpose is now. Yeah, she's, she's probably suffering from some form of depression that is, you know, not diagnosed, because no one has the white mage uh, dress fear. <laughs> God damn um, it! <laughs> I mean, it's it's like there's one of them in the entire world. Like what? Like what are you gonna do? Uh, no white mages for anyone. Everyone just dies. <laughs> I was like, sorry. Um, uh, <laughs> wow, I've really lost myself with that one. Yeah, that's okay. Oh God, what train of thought were we on? At we this were talking point? about the beginning of the game. Uh, we were talking about Yuna having more passivity at the start of Ten Two, yeah. so going with the flow. She's sort of trying to figure out what she's going to do with her life. And the very start of the thing is uh, confronting an imposter who is using her face uh, to garner celebrity and income. Yeah, who we later find out is LeBlanc, yeah. a rival sphere hunter. Le- LeBlanc is the character who is a rival. She is. She and her cronies are just the team rocket of the game. Yeah. You know, they are really, you know, at the, when the chips are down, they stand up for the world, but, you know, the henchmen are your classic Japanese comedy duo of the straight man and the goofy fat guy, and the yep. straight man hits the goofy fat guy. Uh, I forget the name for that duo, but it's very... Balkan Skull? Well, I mean, yeah, That's Balkan Skull. the American Skull. version, but... That is the American tradition, but... Uh, yeah. They're like, like the Three Stooges if one of the Stooges was, like, a fashion model. Yeah, they're they're very boring characters. They're very stereotypical. Uh, they're basically just there to be plot devices. Yeah. And so, so, so throughout the course of the game, the people that Yuna meets kind of give... They all also talk about, like, hey, here is what I'm doing now. And some of them are even like, well, crap, I'm not really sure what I'm doing now. I'm just I'm just trying things to see what happens. I remember, like, uh, 
Uh, there's a part in 10 where you can ha- influence, like, who dies during the Mushroom Rock assault. And um, the kid who canonically survives, I can't remember what his name is, but he is someone you meet at Mushroom Rock during the first chapter of 10-2. Yeah. And he talks about how, like, you know, he's he was part of the Crusaders, but now the Crusaders don't really need to exist because there is no sin anymore. Yeah, the Crusaders have basically evolved into the Youth League. Yeah, so he's, like, sort of just trying to figure out what his place is. He doesn't really know for sure, but he's yeah. kind of just playing it by ear. Like, Yuna is, once again, sort of a greater metaphor for Spira. Yeah. And what's a little frustrating uh, about Yuna's arc, even though I like it from a character standpoint, is that um, the... Well, I guess that the the part that really starts getting her to realize like who she is, is the, um, the conflict between the, between new Yevon and the youth league. Yeah. Cause she's like, well, actually I do know what I can be now. Cause like I am in a privileged position. Like even though I'm no longer technically a summoner, I am still the grand summoner, the one who created the eternal calm. Yeah. She definitely spends some time sort of not, accepting that she's as big a force in people's lives as she is. It's like, I have influence and I can use that influence to create a more peaceful world. Yeah. And so she kind of ends up acting as a diplomat between the two groups and Mm -hmm. a reconciling force in Spira. And my only issue with the character arc she has is that Sort of the final part of it is spurred on by the introduction of Vegnagun, which is, as I stated before, a plot introduction I don't particularly care for. Hey, here's the giant monster. Yeah, it doesn't even have emotions. Like, like, like it's basically the uh, your classic Final Fantasy cliche of at the end of the game, there's a big bad who reveals they were the big bad behind everything. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it is. It is, F- it is FF9's Necron. <laughs> Except it is introduced in chapter two of five, and it never talks or has emotions. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not a great usage of uh, of anything. I and mean, it's a great model. Yeah. yeah. Great set piece. You climb up it as you fight it. It's really cool. Yeah. So do you have other stuff you'd like to say about Yuna? Um, just stuff about sort of the ending of the game, which I feel like is its own. Yeah subject to tackle on and how that ending winds up working with her character um i think we might want to say a little bit about yuna's outfit because it is very much along the lines of so among the many many outfits yeah. in Tentu, there are some oh, there's a lot of outfits there are some i like there are some i hate there are some i'm indifferent towards yuna's actually makes some sense to me even though i don't really like the hot pants yes i think that th- there's a lot of ways in which it's kind of the over-designed Final Fantasy mess that you sort of imagine when you think about those designs these days. But it still fits within the world, fits within her character arc. Yeah, because like it is very much a outfit that, that harkens back to um, Final Fantasy X while also 
getting across the idea that she is a much freer person now than mm-hmm. she was back then. So they are, there are, her clothing is looser. It's not nearly as formal yeah. um, as the, uh, I guess not kimono, but she was more like a yukata she was wearing. It, it was very traditional garb. Yeah, like, but the, but it has the same color schemes, and it even has nods to Titus's um, uniform in 10 with the asymmetrical pant leg that's recreated by the cape, the sort of weird leg cape. The skirt? You mean the skirt? Like the half skirt, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I guess a. I guess a skirt is just a cape for your legs that goes all the way around. <laughs> Maybe I'm not really sure how to describe that thing on her left leg, but yeah, a skirt. <laughs> yeah, and sh- and uh, she's even wearing the uh, necklace that um, Titus had in Ten. So it is a design that has issues but makes yeah. a lot it's, of it's, sense it's for very manic but it's yeah i i see the decision making that went into it and i can't say that those deci- many of those decisions were bad yeah uh again the uh the like it's a really long absolute territory let's say that <laughs> uh on the other end of the spectrum both from a character narrative-wise and from outfit-wise, we have Riku, the other main returning character. The primary reason you want to do this podcast. That is certainly a large reason, yes. Um, But I didn't want to spend too much time talking about her because I've done that on other podcasts. Oh, okay. Well, all right, yeah, Riku, done. Next. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, the... Perhaps one of the issues about Riku is that there is not much to say about her in the game. Yeah, like, they, you, you said it as a joke, but yeah, there really isn't. Um, yeah. And I mean, I don't think there's a problem in a, in a situation like this, where you have 10 and then 10-2. I don't think there's a problem with the character having gotten their shit together in 10 and being like, I don't need to do another character arc. Like, I solve my problems. Like, I don't think it would have been a problem to do that. Uh I don't know that they really did that that well. Yeah, the um, only issue is that Riku didn't really solve any of her problems in 10. She solved the sort of overarching problem, which was, I don't want my cousin uh, to commit suicide. Yeah, she's no longer so self-conscious about her breasts compared to Lulu's, I guess. Oh, God. She's really got him out there. <sighs> yeah, that conversation happened in 10. Don't forget that. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Um... But yeah, like there were in ten, Riku had a start of a narrative arc, but didn't really finish it. And in ten two, it's just not there, except for a single five minute scene. If you have ninety five percent completion by the start of chapter five, yeah. Which I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> and if you specifically go up to the bridge at that point. Yes, as with all important scenes, you have to know that the one area that has had nothing important happen on it for the entire game uh, is suddenly going to have something happen on it. Yeah. So in in ten two, they took the they t- basically took Riku's what was Riku's coping mechanism in ten, which was to be kind of ditzy and upbeat, and just turned it into all she is ever. Yeah. 
she's lived the life for so long that she doesn't know where she ends and begins. <laughs> and not only that, but they make her sort of the bumbling comedic relief, which is strange because yeah, in she's 10, the funny she one. was building robots. <laughs> well, you know, you can be funny and build robots, man. Look at Shinra. He's a laugh a minute. Um, this is like even in Ten to itself, they somewhat contradict this because, like, uh, she's the one who teaches Yuna how to dance. Yes, before her big concert, uh, she's got some good, like, she's got some good character traits. Again, it's just the sort of it's the half step, you know. Yeah, like they, uh, they, uh, yeah, like they do like little interesting things with Riku. In certain scenes, but they never really form that. Like they have all the dots there where you could yeah. connect them to create an interesting character arc, but they just yeah. never do that. And it's not like I expect a seventeen-year-old to like have a moment of introspection in their lives, but still, you know, yeah. it's a story, not a seventeen-year-old. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it still kind of bugs me that like Riku got her ass kicked at. A game that is literally all about math. And Yuna is better at it than her. Well, I mean, you know, you don't... Just because you talk about a subject a lot doesn't mean you're good at it. I mean, look at Luke play video games. Oh. That's such a sick burn. Eh, I've... Poor guy's not gonna find a white mage then. Oh, it wasn't as good the second time. No, no. Just sort of hung in the air. You, you need to move on to a different dress sphere for a joke. Um, so yeah, there's really not much to say about Riku as a character because she doesn't really, really isn't. have much um, of one. She, says she also real... doesn't have much of anything in terms of clothing either. <laughs> so this is a subject that I am actually not allowed to talk about. Because one of my sisters cosplayed as Final Fantasy X to Riku at an anime convention. <laughs> and so I just legally am not allowed to have an opinion on that anymore. <laughs> uh, I mean, I have two major issues with it. Um, in that, A, it doesn't really... If she's so cold, she needs a scarf. Why does she put some more clothes <laughs> on, man? <laughs> For one thing, it doesn't... I don't think they really justify it well, considering Riku's character. I don't really believe, with her character as it is, that she would wear that. Because in Ten, her outfit was, for the most part, fairly utilitarian. It was like a simple top that made sense for someone who was going in the water and working on machines a lot. Uh, the She had like a sort of pouch on her leg um she had shorts because she lived in the desert and as as, and as we all know there's nothing people in the desert like more than exposing as much of their skin to the sun as possible (laughs) uh as much as i love jeans a lot of people in arizona wear shorts um and like sort of the fanciest thing about it was the like two ribbon things on her back well, I mean, she put care into her hair. You know, I'd say that's yeah, part of her outfit. That is true. But yeah, so it was it was an outfit that was very much uh, revolved around, like, what she did. It was an outfit about function. Yeah. Whereas, like, there's whereas, n- zero functionality. Whereas 
has not a single piece of outfit about function it at is, any point. Like it is blatantly about jerking it. Like Well, I don't know. If it was blatantly about jerking it, that weird stuff on her arms wouldn't be there. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know what that strange sleeve is. It's know, just a sleeve that. made of bows. <laughs> yeah, it's strange. You know, and like as you do. If it was at least better designed, I wouldn't necessarily mind it as much, but it kind of felt like they wanted to just put her just in a bikini and were like, oh, but that seems too lazy. We'll just put a few things on top of the bikini and call it a day. Man, she looks like she is just going to step out of those shoes. Yeah. They're real loose. Yeah, so you get like a a, a thing that is supposed to be a mini skirt, but is more like a strip of cloth that is hanging there through the sheer force of gravity. Modern miniskirt. Yeah. and Anime uh, miniskirt. And also, for some reason, suspenders that hold up the top part of the bikini. I don't know why. Well, look, there. okay, hold on. Suspenders are just cool. Like, <laughs> I'm not, look, you can knock the rest of this outfit all you want. Like, that's, that's you know, that's, that's styling, man. <laughs> yeah, so it's just people a at, very... People on Bavel are going to see that and go, damn, this girl's next level. <laughs> Yeah, so th- like, where'd this... you get that sphere? <laughs> Riku's outfit is essentially the proto quiet. Well, that's really generous to quiet. Um... Okay. <laughs> I don't want to get too much of Metal Gear Solid Five, but that's, I think, dramatically more consideration went to the desi- design of this outfit than. Any part of quiet. That's that might be true. Yes, that's. Um, but yeah, it, it it still follows a similar line of we'll just give her a p- bikini and then put a few more things on top of it, so we're not yeah. literally just giving her a bikini. I mean, the one right says at least that's consistent with the uh, the thief class with the other characters for the most part. Like, it's, yeah, it's a unified it, vision. It is consistently so it's, garbage. <laughs> so it's so it's clearly something you're like, well, thieves just look like this, rather than, well, Riku just looks like this. They never thought about her at all. See? Isn't that better? Yeah. <laughs> one of the strange things... And so that's, that's one strange thing about the dress spheres, is that uh, it is established fairly early on, with the Black Mage dress sphere, which is the first one you get afterwards, that essentially the memories of the person like the, the dress spheres are created by memories from the past so presumably yep. the person who recorded those memories like they are represented they were, yeah. in the outfits you are currently wearing so there is a ghost out there who is a thief that loves wearing absolutely nothing which like if they had done a better job of establishing that that would have at least been interesting in the sense that like there you could have done an interesting thing with like okay so how like how much influence is the dress sphere having upon you and how much of this is really you yeah i mean well they really don't do like anything with that other than the brief bits with the songstress sphere and yuna yeah what makes that really uh, weird though is that what is the gunner dress sphere then because uh, it's someone who likes shooting guns but like the outfit is it seems it seems very much like something Yuna made herself. Well, I mean, I would I think it's fair to say that there is some influence from the user because if you look at the warrior dress sphere, which is Pain's, 
That's when true. Yuna equips it, she gets Titus's sword. Yeah. Uh, and I believe the samurai gesture, she also has uh, some aspects of Oron. So there's obviously, it's a, uh, you know, it's uh, a meeting yeah. of the minds. Rik- Riku is actually the one who's using Oron's sword with the samurai one, I believe. Okay. That is almost more characterization of Riku than any other bit in the story. Yeah, honestly, it is. <laughs> <laughs> like the idea that Riku looks up to Auron like that—that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, which like uh, it, that was totally hinted at in Final Fantasy X. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, who just... wouldn't look up to Auron? He's really cool. It's true. Like, why wouldn't you want to look up to Auron? He is clearly the raddest character in Ten. Well, the second raddest, but we'll <laughs> probably get to that in a moment. All right. So. Yeah, we can go ahead and move on from Riku. Um, let's talk about Pain. Who... Let's talk about Pain, the new character introduced for the party in Ten Two. In a game that that I have a lot of mixed feelings about, I find myself surprisingly positive about Pain. I don't think Pain is a bad character. She's very one-note for most of it. Uh, she's basically the silent, stoic, goth character. Uh, and then we learn... We, she opens up more. It's it's a classic, I didn't open much, much, but now that I've gotten to know you guys over the course of this game, I open up a bit more, and I show a bit more emotion. Sort of yeah. story. Um, Pain is almost more conspicuous for who she is not... And who she is not is Lulu, despite copying an incredible amount of details of Lulu's aesthetic. Yeah, she's got she's got a whole lot of black. She's got belts. She's the hot goth. Yeah. Uh, when they didn't put in the hot goth they had from Final Fantasy X. Yeah. Which is really strange. Like, there's this aspect where you have this character. Lulu is busy then... being pregnant, I guess. <laughs> Well, even though her character model is not even though her character model is not shown at all, um, so it creates this, this. Like, I want to ask why it's not Lulu, because I mean, did they feel she was too old of a character to have fun adventures? Did they want to introduce a new character and which, felt which that is, Riku which, had too much plot importance? Which, even if like um, even the like too old thing is weird, because I thought Lulu's whole appeal in that game was that she was. Like a hot, like a hot mom, but who isn't really a mom. Well, yeah, it's the hot mom because she's like twenty three or something, and as yeah. we all know in JRPGs, that is the age at which you are like decrepit, man. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you. If you are twenty three, you are old as hell. Yeah, like like my favorite comparison is that Oron is like thirty four or something, <laughs> even though he looks like fifty five. Like. You are closer to Oron than you are to any other character in the party. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, at what point was the decision made to not use Lulu? Because they clearly, the fact that she is the hot goth archetype clearly shows they want to, like, evoke that. Yeah. Um. Like, did they just feel that 
Lulu's breasts were too big for the dress transformation sequences. <laughs> well, this was this game was directed by Matomu Toriyama, so I doubt that was the reason. That's true. That dude you know, maybe loves he had huge breasts. He had less oversight at that point in the yeah. time, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's kind of just fine, you know. She's the most plot important to the events of uh, of Ten Two because you know she was with the the three dudes on their little adventure where they discover Regna Gun in the past, um, and then they were also traumatized by it, but that they decided to never talk to each other again. Ah, uh, she's just, and I think just in a game that has a consistently goofy tone it's nice to have someone there who is just like this shit's dumb <laughs> yeah and you know who else would have thought this shit was dumb lulu like that's what's so weird yeah yeah i know right <laughs> like and then you in- see okay so the problem with pain is that the main character is yuna right yeah what's pain's relationship with yuna she doesn't really have one she just was kind of like she knows riku she knows yuna through riku who got her into the gullwing somehow yeah. but i can't remember is it ever explained how she got to know riku in the first place i don't really remember um and so then you have this thing where she's basically her interaction with yuna is basically taking over riku's storyline yeah. Where all the details were like she becomes closer with Yuna and she becomes, you know, a, a voice of wisdom to Yuna is what Riku could and should have been. Yeah, because uh, like you mentioned in 10, Yuna was very much the sort of sheltered um, yeah. lady who, even though she was highly strong willed, was a bit naive. Yeah. Whereas like Riku, despite being younger was more had much more of an idea of what the world was like because she was part of a persecuted group of people and also mm-hmm. like had her mother die from a very early age and was constantly ducking attempted genocides. Yeah, Riku's very self-assured in 10. Yeah. Um and so by having pain sort of muscle her way in to the party and the story, as she does, she just sort of absorbs potential storytelling that could have been done with other characters. And if you, you know, if we did just decide to take the three characters from ten, I'm not saying that's the best idea. Like I think it's probably a good idea to mix the party up. But if I mean, literally, if you just take Lulu in, now you have a different dynamic and a different story that you can tell, yeah. uh, involving you know Yuna relying less on Lulu's weird mother ways uh, rather than the implicit oh yeah, you can just go do your own thing now that we get when Yuna visits Lulu in Besaid and there's like a nothing scene. Yeah, yeah. Like who, like whoever's like there needs to be a greater link to the past in the party. And Riku isn't it. And the, a new character certainly will not be. So... Yeah, even then, the... Pain, like, isn't much of a link to the past anyway, because, like, yeah. her storyline is very much within that two Pain's period. literally just a link to Nuge, Barali, and Gipple. Yeah. Uh, because, for some reason, it's not enough that the plot just contrives they meet. 
there also needs to be someone who is coincidentally there as well. It actually feels weird to me that Gipple wasn't more prominent and was and was your more direct link to the other two factions. Yeah, in a lot of considering, ways. Considering Gipple already um, has a past with Riku, and it would make sense if you sort of relied on him for new technology and shit. Yeah, like, there's a lot to be said for maybe even just straight making Gipple, Gipple the third party member. Um, yeah, I think maybe you do lose something by not having the all-female party. Okay, but, but imagine Gipple in Lady Yeah, Josh. but imagine Gipple on all the dress-ups. Yeah! <laughs> there you go. Like, imagine <laughs> Gipple in literally Payne's Black Mage outfit. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, man. I forgot oh, about that, because, like, like, Payne's Black Mage outfit is essentially, like, what if we made Lulu's outfit in 10 more skimpy and also well, hella colorful i mean like they take some real jumps from lose outfit like there's definitely the imagery of the straps yeah but boy they go places with that that's she, i forgot that she has bell bottoms in that oh yeah outfit. no pain actually has a lot of bell bottoms if i remember correctly <laughs> pain is ve- like yeah, I'm pulling it up. Her samurai has bell bottoms. Uh, oh, man, you're right. In in Songstress dress in in Songstress dress sphere, she is literally Elvis. Uh, her psychic has bell bottoms. Yeah. Uh, there is. In White Mage, she has a shorts bodysuit, <laughs> yeah. which is just odd. Um. There are. Boy, they should have just gone further with it and straight up made her David Bowie. Like, oh my god, they flirt with it in a few of these as they, because you know that's a good fashion inspiration if you're gonna have uh, a game where everyone's doing different fashions. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, yeah no, that's that, a good that's... point about Pain. Like, she does yeah. feel like she does feel like she's taking the spot of characters that should have been there instead. Yeah, she's not like bad character, but I think she was the wrong choice for the game. Yeah. Um, which, again, like, is kind of a bummer, because there's a lot of neat little things with her, but I don't know that those neat little things are worth what you could have got with someone else. Mm-hmm. So, we mentioned it already. Um, we should probably dive into the dress spheres. All right. Which is kind of the reason I played this game to completion. The dress spheres are an incredible mechanic. Okay, so, Final Fantasy games. Job systems. They've been done. Final Fantasy games have had job systems. How do you make job systems interesting? Sailor Moon. <laughs> yeah. Done. Problem solved. Okay, so like like pre- previous some, some previous Final Fantasy entries, Final Fantasy X-2 has a job system. Where you have your party of three... And they can fulfill any role. You know, you're not having a situation where Zidane is your rogue, and he will always learn rogue skills, and no one else will be a rogue. If you want a rogue, you have to start the fight with Zidane in your party. In Ten Two, uh, you you know you have starting classes, but you can just change your class and be something different. And this is accompl- accomplished with a dress sphere, which is 
stores all your class. You level up your dress spheres individually. Uh, they all have their own abilities that you get as you level them. And they are all completely different outfits for every character. So you have something like... Oh, God, how many dress spheres are there? There's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. 14 in the base game, and then uh, two extras in the international and HD editions. So that's 15 dress spheres, 30 different outfits, give or take. I don't know if you counted the uh, special dress spheres there. Oh, right, yeah. The I forgot about the ultimate dress spheres. So 33 different outfits for your characters in total. Each of which is uniquely styled and just glamorous as hell. It is very... This is the most satisfying job swap in any game. Yeah, the transformation sequences are super you fancy. You go through a Sailor Moon transformation sequence, a unique animation for each job. If you're a rogue, you jump across the moon. If yeah, you're as much as I don't like the thief dress sphere, it's got a pretty rad oh, introduction. It's great. One of your dress spheres is a trainer, and you get a dog, and it's Yoshimitsu's dog. Yeah, Riku gets a monkey. Hawk has a eagle that'll rip your fucking face apart <laughs> there's a there's a lot of monkeys in this game yeah <laughs> uh like you you said you know you counted them up you've got the dress spheres open give me the list of dress spheres give okay. me each hit so we have the three primary ones which correspond to one of the three characters gunner thief and warrior great 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 then you have songstress black mage white mage oh, yeah. gun mage great lady luck oh trainer. yeah Alchemist, Berserker, Samurai, Dark Knight, Mascot, Festivalist, Psychic, Floral Falal, which is Yuna's ultimate, Machina Ma, which is Riku's, and Full Throttle, which is Pain's. Yeah, so you've got a garment grid, which is basically uh, sort of just a symbol that you equip to a character, and it's got spots in it for dress spheres. So maybe you've got a garment grid that's a square, and on each corner you can put a dress sphere. Uh... So you'll start on one of the dress spheres, and then your costume change is moving to one of the dress spheres connected to that dress sphere. In addition, garment grids may also have uh, a base uh, benefit for equipping them, and there will be certain spots where if you move through them, you will gain a bonus. So maybe by swapping to a gunner from a gun mage on this dress sphere you've set up, you're gaining five magic on the way. Or that's... you'll gain an ability like Auto Life, or exactly. maybe you can use Cure on the next Yeah, there are some here. really busted ones that you can get. Uh, and, and, and finally, in addition, if you visit every dress sphere on your grid, uh, which is easier on some than others, you can access your ultimate dress sphere, which swaps out two of your characters for just big things, and you have this giant robot or a giant flower or knives. Yeah, like a robot suit made entirely of swords. <laughs> like... <laughs> it's really satisfying to swap jobs and it's satisfying to swap jobs because the action in combat is very fast and hectic yeah so and it's I, just satisfying i like to describe 102's battle system as the first time the atb system served a purpose yes because when you get right down to it the atb system as it originally was is just a different coat of paint on a turn-based battle system. Yeah. 
I mean, like like I said with Final Fantasy X, it's basically the HP system, uh, but slowed down. Yeah. When the reverse is just as true. Yeah. Whereas with Ten Two, there is a reason why the combat is active time. Um, yeah. So yes, you're still waiting for a bar to fill up, but you may not actually want to act as soon as that bar fills up because Ten Two introduces a chain combo system where if multiple attacks hit within a short uh, span of time with each other, they will do more damage the higher the chain is. Exactly, and, and you have characters that attack more slowly. You have characters whose animations are weird, so they'll yeah. move to attack and yes. then pause and then hit. You have there characters are characters who are ranged and hit immediately. You have characters who do multiple co- hits with a combo and start one immediately. Um, yeah, like Thief is a very good one for doing early in your chain because mm-hmm. they don't hit very hard, but they immediately, but they do two hits by default. Mm-hmm. And some of these are different per character. The Festivalist has a ranged on Pain. It has a delayed hit on Riku. It has two hits for Yuna. Like the t- like you, and then your character has to travel to the mob they're hitting if they're in melee. So you have to time that. Yeah, and ranged and... Uh, magic attacks have a bar that. Uh, have a second bar that charges up before you actually cast mm-hmm. your spell. And if you're the target of an enemy's spell, you can't move until they're done casting their spell. While well, if you issue the order to someone else, they'll go in and attack and break the combo. If an enemy is about to attack someone with a melee attack, if one of your other characters starts hitting it, it will actually interrupt its actions and stagger it. And all of it doesn't matter, because the game's really easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the greatest disappointment um there are certainly some inelegant things about this system like not having any control over where you stand for example is kind of awkward when you take into account all those factors yeah so uh in some ways it's good that the game isn't super technical but what a waste yeah yeah like the only time the game really gets hard is in the infinite dungeon where it's one of those final fantasy experiences where it's so tightly tuned that you just do the best strategy on the internet and it's not like interesting to explore or experiment with the problem is is that yeah when you get to those super super punishing um fights the best strategy is just to like give someone the gunner dress sphere give them the accessory that makes them do max damage uh when they their health is critical and then do the attack where you just hit the r2 button as many times as you can yep um, I mean, don't get me wrong, uh, listeners. You know, there are some bosses that are more challenging than others, and will force you to play. And I'm not calling you bad if you had trouble at a time in Ten Two, but just in general, it's just not a. It's a game that doesn't ask anything of you skill-wise most of the time. Yeah, it is. It is very much like a system that was a very, very cool idea. That was not necessarily utilized to its full potential in Ten Two, but went on to be to have very interesting tweaks mm-hmm. done to it in all three Thirteen games. Yeah, so if that sounds similar to you and you've played Thirteen, this is why the director of Final Fantasy Ten Two went on to direct uh, the Thirteen series, and he took his battle system with him. Yeah, in fact, it's the this isn't even just speculation. Like there are absolutely like there are screenshots of an early prototype version of. 13's battle system that straight up uses the uh, character models of Yuna and Riku. Mm-hmm. 
Like, it, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's very good to uh, iterate on it. And I'm sure that if I get to 13, I'll enjoy the battle system. I hear it's quite praised. Uh, it's a shame that the game is bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that is, like, something I do like about 13. Um, and, and also I like about 13, too, to a lesser extent with 13.3, but... That's a story for another time. I mean, um, but it, you know, the thirteen series could be its own podcast here, and thirteen three could be its oh, yeah. own within that. Yeah. So, but I, I will just briefly say that the ideas that were created in ten two are very much refined and both made simplified, but also given a tactical purpose in thirteen. Yes. Um, because there are some pretty difficult battles in 13 that absolutely yeah. require to, you to use that system to its uh, fullest potential. Um, but yeah, like thir- what's, what I really love about the Dress Sphere system in 10-2 though is that not only is it just a cool system from a gameplay perspective, but it also very much is it echoes the themes of that game about finding a new identity yeah and figuring out who you want to be yeah it's all like and within that you know each like the preserving parts of the character that you are like each of these dress spheres does reflect the character that is wearing in its design like even when you have something that's universal like everyone's a samurai yeah you know, uh does how they choose to look like a samurai says different things about each character. It's, you know, it's it's very nuanced storytelling, which is something that is almost absent from every other aspect of the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man. Um, like I, like I like the dress spheres in the combat system so much that I almost have nothing to say about them. You know, like it's just like yeah, it's great. Yeah, I remember you telling me uh, that. When you started the HD edition, you spent the first chapter of the game just maxing out every single dress sphere you had at that point. Not not even the first chapter of the game. Halfway through the first chapter of the game. <laughs> I didn't even have White Mage. Yeah, so that's what? Just the main three, Songstress and Black Mage, and maybe Gun Mage? No, actually. Uh, that's uh, Gun Mage. Uh, you can have... Psychic and Festivalist at that point. Oh yeah, that's right. You, I forgot uh, that you, you have those very early on those three. I've got the game. I right love the psychic here, as a matter of fact. Way. The psychic dress sphere is really cool. It's also overpowered, but whatever. You have song stress. You have black mage, thief, festival, psychic, gunner, gun mage, warriors. Oh yeah, I forgot you had quite that many. Well, it helps that it's the uh, HD. Yeah, that's because true. in the original game, uh, of course, psychic and festivalist weren't there. Mm-hmm. And gun mage is something that you are likely to miss if you're playing without a guide. Yeah, yeah, that that is actually com- uh, that is tied to the Toby quest we were mentioning before. It's really bad. Yeah, it's like just it's just shameful. It's, it's, and gun mage is the blue mage, by the way, to listeners. So yeah. if you know anything about Final Fantasy, you now know how that works. Yeah, yeah, just it's every blue mage that has ever been in a Final Fantasy. Uh, you c- if you level it up, you get scan level three, and that allows you to target your party members with scan and rotate them around and look up their underwear. 
Yep, so that way that GameFAQ message boards could finally end the uh, recurring debate threads about whether or not Riku was wearing a thong. Well. Which was a thing that happened. Was she? Yes. I know you checked. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so... And equipment, also, I should mention, is all accessories. There's mm-hmm. no uh, cosmetic equipment. Although I don't think there's ever been cosmetic equipment in a Final Fantasy. Yeah, uh, so it's all except you yeah, know, really ribbons. The, really, and, the uh, only Final Fantasy that's ever have had cosmetic stuff is 14 through the Glamour system, but that's sort of a different kind of thing. And MMO is a different beast. Yeah, very much so. Um, and then there's also this. Uh, there's also a creature combat mini game in the game, and I don't have anything to say about it because I've never engaged with it. I tried a little bit of it. Yeah, there's a thing called there's basically a monster arena in the game where you play Pokemon, and that with can, brother. Yeah, with with brother, you can capture you, brother. You collect all the fiends in the world and brother. Yeah, which I guess there's some <laughs> sort of catharsis you can have there by watching monsters horribly mutilate brother, but. Yeah, it's it's weird and is surprisingly complicated and you can actually get a special ending if you do that to 100% completion. It is strange. Well, and they and Blitzball comes back as essentially a football manager type of game. So Blitzball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except like you're not directly controlling the people on the field. You're like making recruitment decisions and like Saying, okay, this is what we'll train. This is our training regimen now, and this is how our formation will be. It's like, all right, go to it. I hope you win. So Blitzball. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this works out. That sounds like Blitzball to me. That's that's true. Uh, um, let's see. There's a jump button in the game. That's right. Yeah, before FF13 had a jump button, 10 uh, had a jump button. And it's not great. <laughs> that sort of gets at one of the other points I want to make about Ten Two is that um, it it had a fairly decent influence is on the Final Fantasies to come because as we mentioned it was directed by Motomu Toriyama who would go on to direct who would go on to direct such gems as the Third Birthday. And the entire Final Fantasy Thirteen trilogy. And you can definitely see his fingerprints on those games. Especially in some of the more questionable elements. Um, particularly with how some of the female characters are treated. Like some of the with weird... With their jump buttons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like some of the weird uh, design decisions when it comes to the uh, outfits. Um... You have that kind of show up in Parasite Eve with the weird, not only the weird fan service like bunny suits and stuff, but also the clothing destruction mechanic. Uh, in 13.2, you have the strange optional uh, outfits, and in 13.3, you have the very fan service-y um, outfits that uh, Lightning chases into, as well as a couple that in an interview he straight up said were made so that you could upgrade lightning's cups from a uh, chest from a C cup to a D cup. 
Yeah, which like I don't think he understands how breasts work. Yeah, through the power um, of <laughs> through the power of sphere dress sphere magic. Yeah, like if this dress was... spheres make my bust size grow. If only every day, man. <laughs> uh, if X two was this director's only game, um, I would feel a lot better about a lot of the designs. Like I think in isolation, you could go well. Yeah, some are a little skeevy, but like, it feels like a very diverse catalog, and it, and you know, those are outfits that some people like to wear, and it's yeah. cool to diversify like that. And it's it's post like thirteen that some of those really go. Oh well. But that said, like, the number of outfits that you can actually worry about with that regard are shockingly small yeah yeah in Tensu, there aren't really a whole lot later there are some i don't like that i think are just kind of yeah dumb like berserker is one of them like um, you're definitely like a little ugly generous with cleavage windows now and there yeah alchemist but, looks you know, pretty ugly but it's the... a video game so yeah we've all come to terms with those yeah the the only two i'd say like in Tensu that really make me go uh, i don't know about that are thief and lady luck yeah. And also Riku's Berserker, which for some reason they decide to just make that even have even less clothing than her thief outfit does. Well, you know, she wants to be like Aronso, and they don't wear clothes or something. <laughs> I think you get Berserk from the Ronso. You might actually get Trainer, though. Maybe? I don't know. But yeah, uh... it's weird. Um, but yeah, like the Tensu has a shockingly high amount of outfits I like, though. Yeah, there's um, way white mage is actually one of my favorite white mage outfits in They're any really Final Fantasy good game. Takes on white mage. Yeah, uh, um, like samurai is real cool. Dark knight is really cool in a totally ridiculous way. Yeah, I, I really like how trainer is just like nothing <laughs> it's just like i don't know i was wearing some clothes out to the market and yeah. also i've got a pet monkey <laughs> yeah there's just this monkey on my head who i tell to attack you uh it's in some ways it's a shame that there aren't some more uh final fantasy classics represented like it would have been really nice to see the take on a red mage yeah in the, uh, i would have loved world. to see dragoon in there yeah dragoon uh a really shocking absence considering kamari yeah, uh, combine who... Dragoon and Blue Mage. Yeah, for a really interesting but useless character. <laughs> uh, it's so sad that Kimari was as pointless as he was. He, I, I feel like he's supposed to be statistically really good, but you just like I don't know. I never remember ever caring about him in ten. You know? Yeah. I mean, the, the problem with Kimari is that like he could be anyone, but. By the time you get to the end of the dress sphere, by the time you get the end of the sphere grid, like anyone could be anyone. Yeah. And they just had better stats. But I mean, them. like if we could get a Kamari dress sphere, that'd be like <laughs> either everyone dressing as Kamari or Kamari dressing as everything. Either way, really. Ah, uh, the furry dress sphere. N- mascot. I mean, Berserker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Berserker is closer. Berserker is all animal girls, basically. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. So, yeah, like, 13... The 13 games... 
like they very much have their roots in Tantu, both from a combat perspective and also from a sense that they continue the trend of even though they have a larger cast um for a lot of 13 you're limited to two maybe three people uh everyone levels up um like at once there's no leveling disparity in 13-2 you only ever have uh two characters plus like a pokemon in 13 you just have one character there's a lot of design elements that carry through yeah there's a lot of uh there's a lot of shocking minimalism in the battle system despite how incredibly overdesigned it is i'm kind of at a loss of where to go now is there anything else you wanted to sort of dig into or do you think we've covered a lot of it well, before we hit the ending, which we've just avoided talking oh, about. Oh, right, yes. I'll just go through my little notepad here. Yeah. Pit uh, just about everything. But uh, one thing I'll say is that there's just terrible camera angles in the game. It's one of those games where you, you know, you move and the camera suddenly switches position, and the way you were moving, you're not moving anymore. So you run back onto the other screen and you go back and forth until you, like, get it right. Yeah. Um, it's really. It's not very important to a critical discussion of the game, but I just fucking hate that. I think it's really lame that games did that. It also includes a pointless hot spring scene. Well, it's a JRPG. Where Riku gropes Yuna's breasts. Well, you know, girls can't help but touch those. And I want to (laughs) die. There's also this oversoul mechanic where if you kill a bunch of stuff, sometimes one of them will grow stronger and it'll give you more XP. Yeah. Uh, It's not really important. Um... Oh yeah, when I was playing through, I wrote down the uh, the motto of the new Yevon group, and it's amazing. What? Oh, I totally forgot it. What is it? So the official motto of the new Yevon group, who are about stability in the face of a changing sphere, you know, who wish to hold on to the ideals of Yevon, even though it was corrupted by evil ghosts, their motto is, one thing at a time. <laughs> Which is amazing. Oh my gosh. It's like, I know everyone's real excited with the giant space whale dead, but let's slow down on the social progress, y'all. Oh let's gosh. take this one thing at a time. It's like, the the analogs, the, the, there are some really good political analogs you could do. Like, yeah, like, I, it clearly wasn't made with American politics in mind. No, not at all. Holy at, shit, is that at, the Especially because it was like, 2002 and a very different world state um but wow it's just coming across that was a real treat yeah so the ending of 10-2 there are several endings um and they depend on your completion rate yeah let me just pull out the number here real quick so i get it right because if there's one thing i care about getting right in this all uh it's the ending <laughs> percentages <laughs> I really value that. <laughs> you know, it's just it's a traditional thing where you've got like a good ending, a great ending, and a perfect ending. You know, it's nonsense titles like that. Yeah, when they don't fit at all, like Bloodborne. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's relevant. I just finished that. <laughs> it's a good game, huh? It is. Yeah, there's a there's a. There's a critical hit where you don't really shit on the game that much. No. So anyways, so there's a few endings. One is if you lose against Fagin again. 
uh, you Vagnagun shoots the world and it dies. It's a great game. Awesome. Woo! So the next option is to have uh, at the end of the game you'll defeat Vanagun and you'll be in the far plane or something. You'll be somewhere. Yeah. As you travel back it's, from the it's huge, the far big plane. event. Yeah. Um, and you'll get a moment with Titus, uh, Titus's ghost, where Unit will say, you know, "Hi, I missed you, man, and I hope that." You're doing okay. I love you, and you'll always be a part of me. And then Titus's ghost just disappears. He's gone. Or you can tell the ghost of Bahamut that you'd really like to see Titus again, and at the end of the game, the faith will make Titus real, and you'll go off and live happily. Yeah, and, ba- and Bahamut's like, well... You did defeat Sin, so I guess we owe <laughs> yeah. you a solid. Bahamut is like, you really did us... A huge favor. As far as things go, like, why not? Yeah, so I, even though it's called the perfect ending, I kind of, it's interesting because my attitude towards the ending has changed since I first played through that game. I kind of prefer the default ending now. Yeah, like. Because to me, the ending where she does get Titus back kind of flies in the face of everything that game was building towards. Like, it not only undoes the meaning of much of the story, it undoes much of the meaning of the story in 10 as well. Yeah. Um, And also, like, are you just getting, like, 17-year-old Titus? Like, has Titus done nothing since 10? And you're gonna suddenly swoop in two years later and pick it up right away. That's gonna be a weird relationship, man. She likes younger men. <laughs> and also, now that it's like Bahamut dreaming it up, like did they did they get get the same guy who was dreaming of Titus to dream up again, or is this like Bahamut going, oh jeez, what's Titus Out- like? Outsourcing okay. Titus. Um, he's got like the gene thing. Ah, uh, he's blonde. He's blonde. He looks so like Meg Ryan. Got um, daddy issues. <laughs> That's pro- that's that's all of it, right? That's that's all the human needs. So like, like I don't Also also just imagine like cuz Bahamut also would have to like dream him fucking as well, I would assume. That's got to be weird. Yeah, well, I mean, he already like whoever dreamed Titus already did that. I guess that's true. Yes. That and like you can't happen. tell me that Titus didn't wank like all the time. Yeah. Like not in public, but you know. <laughs> no, he definitely did. Uh, here, and let me like, link you to some doujins. But no, um, it's yeah, I, he's doing a lot more than wanking, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that ending is the. What's weird about making it, giving it multiple endings, and I remember. It's funny because Aaron, uh, the guy who does Errant Signal, talked about this for uh, the Life is Strange ending, where it seems weird that that's even like a choice that you have, yeah. considering how one of them is clearly thematically appropriate and the others are not. Yeah, it's a very video gamey thing to do, where you're like, well, we have to let the player choose how the game ends. Except in this quest, it's not a choice. It's a did you randomly whistle in the far plane? <laughs> yeah. 
Congratulations. You pressed a button when there was no button prompt on screen. You get the good ending. Yeah, and what? Yeah, what makes it even weirder? Again, is the that, game is made to sell a guide. Yeah, what makes it even weirder is that, like, by making it so secret, it's like it's clearly positioned as, oh, this is the truer ending. But then, in correct me if I'm wrong, because I haven't played through the uh, like roguelike dungeon that's at the end of the international version. Well, neither have I. Don't worry. But I believe they make the the ending where Titus doesn't come back like canonical in that one, or it's implied that it is. I could be wrong about that, but that is what I have heard. I'm not sure if there's any story in the dungeon at all, actually. Because um... it's implied that it happens at the end of the the adventure. Three months after defeating Venegan and Shui and the Gons have gone their separate way, they get a letter that calls them back to a tower. <laughs> yeah, however you they... pronounce that fucking name. Uh, they send its levels. They discuss what they've been doing since they have separated. Uh, Riku has continued working on missions and relays the status for their friends. Payne talks about Nuj dissolving the Youth League and Berylai dissolving New Yevon and Gipple helps. <laughs> Rico asks Payne if they could ever be a team again. Payne says, Jesus, I'm with you guys right now. Like, <laughs> could you, like, try to get rid of me a little more subtly? Uh, no, Yuna talks about her life with Titus and Bissane. Okay, never and how, mind. Wait, All and right. how she needed a change when he was gone, but is now fine with a normal, relaxed life. So, that actually revealed nothing. That that's the the way that sentence constructed it told us nothing actually okay yeah that's true um that said i don't think the grammar check on wikia is that uh is that intense <laughs> so i'm just going to say yeah that titus lived that's canon yeah but yeah it's it's a weird situation um yeah and it didn't need to be cuz it's just it's i mean it's the it's the classic thing of like it's more important to write the ending that the fans want than it is to write the ending that is narratively appropriate. Um, fans of a piece of media aren't the right people to make decisions about that media. Which is strange because Motomu Toriyama was also the primary scenario designer for Ten. So you'd think he of all people would understand. Um, well, no, I wouldn't because <laughs> being there's no school for writing in the world. <laughs> yeah, that is and they that's don't true. make you go to that school in order to write video games. You just need to work at the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know this is. I think this is why you see a lot of madness in JRPG stories, uh, which isn't to say that there aren't there isn't madness in Western RPG stories. It's that the there's no qualifications to work on it, so you just have people maniacally doing story beats that they've seen in their culture. Yeah, that's why Western RPGs don't seem as crazy to a lot of people, is because even though they're wild and off the rails, it's 
it's a familiar culture that they're wild and off the rails on. Yeah, like if you if you really break down Lord of the Rings, that shit's nuts. But we're just used Lord to the that Rings makes kind no of fantasy sense. narrative. Yeah, and like, sure, someone aping Lord of the Rings will still will just regard it as bad, as opposed to someone who's never read Lord of the Rings just going go, "What the heck is happening?" Yeah, they're just they're just doing nothing. They're just traveling, dude. <laughs> Nothing's happening, and then just you keep hitting. Th- oh. Whatever, dude. These Elder Scrolls have nothing going on, man. <laughs> uh, man. Yeah, honestly, like again, the ending is something that actually I don't have much to say about in retrospect. It's just it's not very good. Like, yeah, it would be more thematically appropriate to have her move on with her life. Uh, I wonder what the hell is going to happen in the relationship now that she's dating a two-year-old ghost. <laughs> Um, like, does he still need to, like, crap? Does he have any bodily functions? Like, how manifested is he? Did the Aeons need to eat? I don't know. Yeah, did the Hobbit take crap? Did have children? Yeah, what happens when Yuna is tired of Titus being 17? Does he suddenly age 25 to match her? Like, <laughs> there's a lot of logistical problems. That's what I'm saying. It would have been easier to date Vegnagun. <laughs> <laughs> he just speaks to you entirely through uh guns. entirely through like, entirely symphonies. entirely through guns. Okay. Just he opens his mouth and the gun comes out and it's like, "Oh, I see." <laughs> and then and then if you don't get the uh, the best ending, uh the dialogue they have at the end where Titus promises he won't disappear is replaced with two monkeys. Because again, I, totally I really forgot need, about that. I really need to emphasize to you, dear reader, there's a lot of monkeys in this game for some reason. Like they are the true rulers of Xanarkand now. Yeah, I do remember uh, monkeys showing up quite a bit, just randomly. Yep. Uh, it's monkey-centric game. Yep. Top monkey. Well, that's that's actually the that's actually what ten three will be is ape escape. That's a really disappointing truth. <laughs> really oh man, the times, the amount of time I have pointlessly spent coming up with a ten three scenario in my head, <laughs> and then they put out that audiobook. Oh, fuck. do we want to go over that audiobook real quick? Cause it is, cause it really. is bad. <laughs> it is real bad. Um, like, like I went through. I tried to go through the Wikipedia summary of it. As much as I could, that it barely made sense, which I'm not sure if it's a problem with whoever wrote up the summary or if it's with the audiobook itself or a combination of the two. But from what I can tell, it's all about, like, Titus and Yuna having ghost problems with, like, ghosts from the past who come back to try to mess with the future and they go in they do like some ghost time travel to solve things. It's really fucking weird. At one point Titus kicks a blitzball and it's actually a bomb. Yeah, at one point Titus is killed by a bomb, but not really. Yeah, it's like a ghost Titus. Yeah, it's man, his head lands in Yuna's lap. If if they ever for real make a 10-3, neither Yuna nor Titus should be the main characters. It will be all about Chapu <sighs> defeating Sin. Oh no! 
<laughs> oh no. And you'll get to see Chapu and Lulu making kisses. Not kissing, because video games can't kiss. And Waka will just be there, and he will think to himself, Boy, I'm glad I will never have sex with the man, with the woman my brother is having sex with. (laughs) I'm glad that I don't know any other women in the world, so there's no one else I could possibly wind up with. Yeah, the only other woman, the only other two women I know are my surrogate daughter and yeah, let's just, a lady I hate because Let's just of go back to Lulu and Maka for a second. Can I just say how much I hate it when you people just get paired off with the other character that they know? <laughs> yeah. It's so lazy. Like, I know so many people in the world. I don't know just the five people I went on an adventure with. Yeah. Like, that's kind of why I, just... I like the inclusion of Gipple in 10-2, because he's like a dude we didn't hear about in 10, but Riku and he have a history, and that's kind of neat. Yeah, like, and Pain and he have a history, and we're like, oh, is there a love triangle? And then it's like, no, it's just like, boring Vegnagon. <laughs> yeah. It's just Vegnagon. Whereas with Lulu, it's like, what happened to Lulu? Oh yeah, she married the only other eligible bachelor in the party she the Auron died and Kamari was blue so and Kamari found himself his own uh Ronzo wife yeah classic Ronzo woman um man and like can I just point out something that no one ever remembers about Lulu in 10 is that's her second pilgrimage man the only other yeah. person out there who did a sec another pilgrimage was Oron, and he died. <laughs> yeah, Lu- yeah, the- Lulu's kind of a badass. Yeah, also they don't really get into it, but like, yeah, Lulu didn't die; her summoner did. Yeah, Lulu's like, whatever. Bring in the next one. I've been raising her since she was a child. Yeah, this time it'll go differently. This time I know Faraga. <laughs> this time, for real, we'll kill the summoner. Not like the fake kill. The good one. <laughs> the one where they offer their spirit to a giant whale. And a naked lady. Oh, yeah. Unaleska. Classic. Classic design. Yeah. I guess now that... I, we're, we've now gotten to the point where we're no longer actually saying anything inte- intelligent. And yeah, just we're just like on starting, to, starting to shit on 10. Which is, you know... Wait... <laughs> Which oh, like game. is my like which is my favorite game. <laughs> Despite its faults, like I have a I have a large soft spot for that game. Well, like a like a baby? <laughs> that's a it's a weakness. Should, should grow your skull out a bit more. No, I refuse. Alright. Um yeah, okay. Let's let's wrap it up. Your la- your ult- How would you fix Final Fantasy X two? Your major salient criticism. What is the one thing it needed to solve? Uh, with, I feel like the one thing that would have, at the very least, made me like it more is if they had just stuck to the major conflict, being all three of the characters trying to figure out what their place in the world is and what their future is going to be rather than using Vegnagun as a crutch. 
a smaller personal story. Yeah, which like would have been something that a Final Fantasy had never done before. Yeah, have ha- maybe have more. Maybe have Yuna wonder if she wants to like bone someone. Like if she sees like Barely or Gipple or Nuge, and she's like, "Damn, I could get some of that." And then conflicts that with her feelings for Tyus instead of just persistent loss and unrequited yeah. absence. A, a complex, a more complex adult sort of view of a relationship. Yeah, like you know, being attracted to one of them and going like, "Well, is this okay? Is is this too yeah. soon? Can I get a ghost back?" <laughs> like. And, like, it would be actually interesting to contrast that with uh, Riku's relationship with Gipple. Yeah. You know, where they've kind of got but, a well, first they'd have to again, put that, off again relationship yeah, with each other. They'd have to shine any light on that to begin with. Yeah. You could, yeah, there's a lot of neat stuff you could do with that sort of storyline if they had just committed to it rather than chickening out halfway through. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Gipple in a thong! Good night! Skies of Academia is a proud member of Audio Entropy, the home for a variety of amateur podcasts, including Teenagers with Attitude, Totally Reprise, and Let's Place. You can find all these shows and more at www.audioentropy.com. Audio Entropy, talking about what we love, with who we love, till the end of time.